It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family. Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing financial advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs, who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Call Doug, Linda, and Deborah at their office, 919-872-7000, with your financial planning questions. That's 919 919- Now, here are Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. And we are the Lewis family, ready to answer your questions tonight. This is Linda Lewis, and thank you for joining us on Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Doug, Linda, you know, we get a lot of questions on a weekly basis about something called target date funds. And because this is such a unknown or mystery to many people, even the ones who are participating in target date funds, I thought we might go over some things that you need to know about the target date funds and this retirement strategy. Yeah. When we began this radio program in 1990, wasn't it? Yeah, 1990. 1990. You and Linda There were no target date funds. And yet now they've become uh, the set it, forget it investments, almost ubiquitous in 401k plans. And- employers are using them as like a default choice for workers who neglected to pick an investment option for their accounts. And yet I think there's a big ignorance out there since they were first brought to the market. These assets have tripled in size, but if you're one of those passive target date fund investors, you'd be wise to get up to speed as you slide toward retirement. After all, once you clock out, then you're not bound to remain in the fund that your employer selected for you. And even though those funds all have the same purpose, funds with the same target retirement date can have widely varying notions of what constitutes a bullseye. The closer you are to needing your savings, the more crucial it is that these differences become to you. Yeah, what's true for all target date funds is that they invest in a mixture of stocks, bonds, and cash. And this mix of investments varies over time, starting out with what they feel is aggressive, stock-heavy allocations when investors are young and far from their target, usually some anticipated retirement date, and then becoming what's supposedly increasingly conservative as investors get older and closer to their goal. But Doug, how funds define conservative is inconsistent. Exposure to stocks, which is the main cause of volatility, it can range from 55% to 10% amongst funds that have reached their target date and are thus catering to those who are already retired or nearing retirement. Yeah, the explanation is that about 35% of target date funds expect to get you to retirement. The remaining 65% of those funds expect to help you get through retirement. And there's a big difference. Do you want a target amount of money at the time that you retire or all the way through retirement? 
That's called the glide path. Those just getting you to retirement assume that you're going to need the bulk of your assets right away so they become, quote, quote, more conservative, moving you into more bonds about five years before this target date. And those with a get-you-through-retirement approach move you into bonds far more slowly, often over the course of another decade or two. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Call us at Lewis Financial Management if you have questions about your financial planning. Our number to call is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Now, there's an ultra-conservative approach that some of these target date fund managers use. And this is when, for example, some of the fund's allocations at the end Some funds will make that allocation of stocks drop down to 10%. And the remaining amount, that 90%, is in cash. Yeah. And then on the other end, the other philosophy is a year after a fund reaches its target date, the portfolio starts shifting back into stocks. Within five years, then, it's going to rise to 32% stocks, and it's going to remain there throughout your retirement. Now, by contrast, there's still another type of way that these target date funds are uh, allocated, and that's when there's a large stock position at the target date, maybe 55% of the portfolio, and then over the next 20 years, the fund company will ratchet down to about 20% of stocks. Yeah, this whole matter of the target date funds, you could say, well, what are the the big giants doing? Okay. The two big giants of the industry's top players of mutual fund companies, they fall somewhere in the middle. Both of them have glide paths that would have the investors at about 50% in stocks at retirement. Both of them gradually move the assets into what they consider a more conservative mix over the next several years into bonds. At the point that the fund managers stop making these age-related adjustments, about seven years after the target date, one of the biggies automatically shifts investors who remain with their target date fund into retirement income funds with only a slight allocation to stocks and the bulk of them in bonds. Well, so Doug... What's wrong with this advice? Yeah, I think that's the whole thing. Most investors need to understand what's wrong. And I would say what's really wrong, and I will preface my remarks by saying you should avoid all target date funds. I'll just say that right outright. You don't want to be in target date funds because there's a basic underlying assumption, which is class assumption. The assumption is that... Stocks are risky, bonds are safe. And that is a false assumption. So the whole underlying assumption to target date funds is wrong. It's based on classes. One class stocks, another class cash, and another class bonds. And then they apply a ratio. How much of this class, how much of this class, how much of this class, and then they apply that to years. Hmm. All right. So you're starting with the wrong set of assumptions. You can't bet on the class. That is going to be a recipe for disaster. Right. Right. Well, then what's right? What is the right approach to choosing investments in your mutual in your employer's list of options? Yeah. Let's use an analogy. For example, if all of a sudden uh, you're sick 
and some doctor says you need an operation, you're not going to go and say, well, I just need to get an operation. That's all. I just need an operation. What kind of operation? Who's the operator? Who's the surgeon? We don't want to look at classes. (laughs) I'm serious. We don't want to look at classes. I like the analogy, You like the analogy? I think it's great. All right, yeah. I think most people don't even ask the question. And and if I'm going to be betting my money on my retirement, I want to know who is the man or woman, the manager, who is picking these stocks Mm -hmm. or these bonds. That's right. Or whatever it is. So in my opinion... Never bet on the class. You're actually in what you, what I would say is higher risk, much higher risk than any other approach. It's a false sense of security. It's a false sense of security based on underlying assumptions which are wrong. Yeah. But the right answer is use the active manager approach. Because then you can go ahead and you can look at how did this manager do last year, the year before, the year before, the year before. Call me, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000, 919-872-7000. Mary, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening? Hi. Um, we have a question about variable life insurance. Okay. Um, my husband and I are in our late 30s, and we're trying to do some planning here for college, for Two kids, one a year old and another one on the way. All right. And we're, um, we've got income in the low 100000 range and probably a, a net asset range of around 400000 And we have minimal life insurance right now, mm-hmm. just provided through an employer. So we were talking to a few folks, um, a couple folks here in town, and both of them have recommended variable life insurance as a way to provide um, more life insurance now and to save on a tax-deferred basis for college. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this. Well, first of all, we need to be careful that we don't call a chicken a duck and we don't call a duck a chicken. You want to be very cognizant of what you're doing and why you're doing it and what it is that you're doing it with. Now, you have just said that your combined family income is $100,000. Um, in the low 100s. About, uh, give me a number and I'll jot it down. 120000 All right. So we've got $120,000 of income mm-hmm. and you're both, uh, you're in your late 30s. Uh-huh. You're both employed, self-employed or working for solid uh, uh, companies? Working for other companies. Okay. Working for other. Any danger of loss of jobs? Um, not in the near term. Okay. And your children are how old? Um, one's almost two and another one's on the way. All right. Two and one on the way. All right. Now, what do you have in the way of an investment portfolio now? What are your present investment assets? Forget your 401ks. Okay. Um, we're, we're extremely, we're very conservatively invested right now. We've got money sitting in, um, in some CDs. How much do you have in cash and CDs? Um, in cash and CDs together, we have over $100,000. Boy, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Why are you doing that? Well, it's uh, 
we've been uh, thinking about buying a new house and have decided not to. So we. Oh, we, so you get. I see. I so see. So we've decided that it's almost time to do something. It, it's time to do something. Right. So that's why. Okay. You know, like I said, we went and talked to a couple folks about. Oh yeah. Well, know, all right. Financial plans, and both of them have come back with variable life insurance. Yeah. Well, they they pay a great commission, by the way. They they they're a real high commission ticket. But let's go on. All right. What else do you have? You know. So you have no investments so far out of that hundred. Yeah. Um, we have. Well, we have one hundred twenty thousand roughly in. Cash and CDs. We have another about um, forty to fifty thousand in several stocks, and then we have um, our, our real estate assets are um, worth um, a couple hundred thousand dollars. This is commercial real estate, no. not your residence. No, our residence. Our residence. Okay, that's not investment either. Okay, yeah, that's not investment. No, that's a use asset. All right. Well, my first observation, and remember I began by saying you don't want to call a chicken a duck or a duck a chicken. Right. All right. Insurance pays off to somebody when you die. It's a transfer of risk. Okay. Mm-hmm. Your world is basically divided into two estates, a living estate and a death estate. Your living estate is your investment portfolio and what you accumulate yourself. Your death estate factors in that plus what's transferred by risk using insurance. Insurance, even by law, and by the way, it's very interesting. I don't know if any, if either of the insurance agents ever mentioned to you the investment potential of the uh, variable life insurance. It's interesting. It's against the law in North Carolina to call insurance an investment <laughs> because it's not. It is not an investment by any, by any means. What uh-huh. and an, an insurance policy is a policy which if you die tomorrow, it pays somebody a lot bigger than what you Gave as a premium. You need to do an educational needs analysis, number one, and then back into that and find out how much money needs to be set aside on a monthly basis to reach that that that, time, that point at that time. If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. And then number two, you want to go ahead and pick the funds according to the risk parameters, whether you want balanced funds or growth and in income funds, and you need to work in the world of investments to meet that need. For life insurance, you need to approach it the exact opposite. Do a needs analysis on life insurance. You may need no insurance. If you need no insurance, for sure, you shouldn't even be talking about insurance. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You can get a cheap 20-year level term policy for next to nothing if you're in your 30s that might cover you more than adequately until you can self-insure. You see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So I think you're getting several issues confused, and I have nothing against insurance. It's a, it's a wonderful vehicle for transferring risk and for supporting. And I had one client who died a week before last, and I was very happy that we had the insurance policy to go ahead and uh, take care of the widow with. On the other hand, very often we find there is zero need for insurance. But for college education, never use life insurance. Okay. Does, does that help, Mary? Yeah, that does. Mary, and probably what you'll want to do when you use, you know, a financial planner, uh, have them do an analysis based on whatever the value of your estate is to determine whether the insurance that you have through your employer is going to be enough to uh, meet the need of the family if one of you should predecease the other. Um, They're separate needs analyses, and you never make the duck walk like a chicken or the chicken walk like the duck. That's not what you should be doing. You shouldn't be confusing the two because they're not the same. I think you need financial planning, Mary. I think, I think she does, too. <laughs> you need to see a financial planner, not an insurance agent. 
Okay. I can send you some information if you'd like. If you'll just call me at the office at 8727000. I might be able to, you know, send some brochures or some information that might get you on track. Okay. All right. Thanks. Yep, thanks so much. Thanks for calling, Mary. Uh-huh. Okay. Bye-bye. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. I also forgot to mention to Mary that she should go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. DougAndLinda.com. And that will help her also. But, you know, I'm thinking this whole matter of there are two issues here that we're discussing at the same time. Number one, there's the issue of risk transfer. Right, the need right. for life insurance. Right. For example, it would be stupid for me to buy uh, automobile life insurance, I mean automobile insurance, if I didn't have a car. Right. If I was, uh, like I've got one client and he only rides a bicycle. He just, he rides his bicycle to work for 30 years now. He just ri- So to buy car insurance for him, there's no risk of what happens to his car because he didn't have a car. Right. Okay. All right. So the first subject is risk transfer. Insurance by law is a product in which we transfer a risk that we're facing to an insurance company. So now we have to quantify that risk. What is that risk? And the risk in a situation like Mary's, a young couple, we want to find out, all right, if either one of them dies, then what is the, what does it look like? In other words, the remaining income from the other one and the living expenses, what's the shortfall? Or if it's the husband that dies, for example... And if the wife has children, then maybe she won't be able to work or she wants to stop working, take care of her children. So we need to go ahead and start with what is the need and we need to quantify it. You don't just draw straws and say, oh, let's get this much. What is the need? Once you have the dollar amount of the need to support the surviving spouse and the children, then you go ahead and say, how much of this need is? can be covered by my existing investments. Right. And then what is still uncovered, that's the risk. Right. And I got to cover that risk. So how do I cover that risk? I then get insurance to cover that risk until when? Until there's no more risk. Right. If the investments are big enough to cover that risk, then I don't need insurance. That's what people mean by the phrase, I'm able to then... Self-insured. That's exactly right. This is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management. Our number at the office is 919-872-7000. Call me at 919-872-7000. That's exactly right. So So the the risk does go away. It's to cover it until it goes away. Absolutely. Now we come to the the second question. What kind of insurance should I be getting to cover that risk? And the short answer is the cheapest thing possible. Right. We're not expecting this to go to, to we're not expecting to own this risk for the rest of our lives. That's and right. yet life insurance that you would own for the rest of your life is often described as if this investment would be something uh, that would be made through the insurance. Well, yeah. Let's go more slowly though. Okay. Deborah. Let's go more slowly. All right. What you said is absolutely right. When you said we're not expecting, we're not expecting even to to have this risk occur. Right. I'm not expecting 
that my wife is going to die if I'm buying insurance. I'm covering a risk for something that I think won't happen, but if it does happen. So I'm hoping that this money that I give to the insurance company to cover this risk, I'm hoping they get to keep it and I never go ahead and need it. Right. I'm hope to throw it away. Exactly. That's what we do with car insurance. That's what we do with insurance on our home when we think our home might burn down. All those types of needs we expect. So therefore, if the insurance company will cover me, I want the cheapest dollar amount for them to cover that risk. Got it. So now we come to the question, well, well, what is this other thing called variable life insurance or whole life insurance or any other kind of life insurance? Those are the more expensive insurances. They are, they, there's a sales pitch there. And the sales pitch is, oh, well, you're building up money in a cash account that you can borrow out. Or you're putting money into an investment portfolio of mutual funds that you can go ahead and get back out again. I'll borrow from yeah, myself. Yeah. The whole story is full of false assumptions and it's a heavy sales pitch. You've now made the chicken become a duck. You've now made this insurance policy which is designed to transfer risk into something that it's not meant for. So what happens if you borrow from yourself? That means the death benefit's going to be less. The right? death benefit is less. And why did you even do it? If you if you wanted to go ahead and use it for your retirement portfolio, buy investments. Don't pay double for all of the things that are in it. And that's the confusion that's out there. Life insurance is to cover risk. Investments for retirement are for retirement and are investments, and you shouldn't try to mix the two because it's uh, it's, it's it's a losing game. You know, I was speaking to a couple the other day, and they said, uh, you know, they really need financial planning. But along the drive, the you know, the question came up, and and he said, we we've got a million dollars on each, each of us. And I said, well, which one of you has the higher income? And it was the husband, of course. And uh, he's already retired, but he's got another business that he's doing. He's self-employed. His wife works with him part-time. But she's also a real estate agent. And But it is important, isn't it, to do a needs analysis to yes. see what are the debts? What is the income? If your husband died and you lost that income... How would you replace it? So th- there is the need. And so for those of you that may be listening to the show this evening, think about that. Have you visited and revisited how much life insurance you have? And what is your need? And what is your total need? Maybe you need comprehensive financial planning. We can help you at Lewis Financial Management. Call us during the week. Our number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Well, Doug, Deborah, what's new in the world of cash flow planning and retirement planning? Well, you know, Doug and Linda, there was a uh, an enjoyable article yesterday in the Wall Street Journal, and they were talking about the, the spending and it's slowing down as doubts grow. And we know this from reality in our own office. You know, retirement experts have been puzzling over a phenomenon where Americans in their 60s and 70s start to spend less just as many can afford to start enjoying their life savings. Yeah. 
you know, this, this study sheds light on one possible reason of why that is true. As people age, they become more pessimistic about the stock market, about the economy, and about their own finances. And this psychological change can lead retirees to cut spending and plow most of their money into safe but low-yielding bonds, whether or not such decisions make economic sense. When it comes to finances, our ability to reliably anticipate the future weakens as we age. For the many Americans who haven't saved enough for retirement, this tendency towards frugality is not a bad thing at all. But for those who have saved diligently, they're not enjoying retirement in the way they should. That's really true. The study released this past week examined responses to uh, surveys of consumers from 1978 to 2014. And the study found that in 2014, in comparison to people under 35, adults that were over 64 were 30 to 40 percent less optimistic about their future financial health and the U.S. economy and the stock market. The study also found that people spend less as they age. About two percent, two point five percent less as they, uh, on average, in each successive year between the ages of sixty and seventy, and by a greater percentage in later years. Pessimism about money is closely related to risk aversion, which also rises with age. We have known for a long time that people become more risk-averse as they age, and for good reason. They are progressively less able to earn an income from a job to cover unexpected expenses, which creates anxiety. Still, there is evidence that retirees can be overly pessimistic. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call to make an appointment with Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner of Lewis Financial Management. Call 919-872-7000 or visit our website, DougAndLinda.com. People who have more than they need often find it hard to break the frugality habits that made them successful savers. I'm just successful savers. You know, I'm just thinking of a client that we met with just the other day in our office, longtime client of ours, you know, uh, and they uh, they have they're financially independent. They have a very nice, large portfolio, and they were talking about uh, the trip that uh, uh, the wife had taken to Portugal and how miserable was the seating arrangement flying all the way back. And my answer to her was, "Well, why in the Dickens did you not fly first class?" And I, I, her answer was, "I have a really hard time." Thinking about spending money. Yeah. And I I said, that's crazy. That's crazy. I mean, what is it all accumulated for? You need to fly first class. You need to get the best of the best. This is what it's all for. You don't go ahead when you were. It was very good while you were accumulating. But now you made it. That's right. And that's right. And that's because at some point you look at your balance and you say, what am I doing? There is no way I'm going to be able to spend all this money. And it's almost then that they sort of look at us and they look for permission to start spending on themselves. (laughs) I think this is probably one of the most enjoyable parts of our practice at Lewis Financial Management. Many of our long-term clients are always joking how that's all Doug and Deborah are telling us to do. Spend more money. Enjoy. Take more cruises. Do more things. And why is that? Because we're watching. 
because that's what they're paying us for. Not only to look at their investments and to handle their investment portfolio, but to look at uh, at where they stand. Are they ever at risk of running out or of going down? And when we can give them the assurance that you're fine, then we want them to enjoy. That's right. It's I think it's that assurance that makes people feel confident that they have lived long enough to absolutely take care of that risk. And, you know, it's just a it is so wonderful to see so many of our clients over these, I can say now, decades that some have been our clients and even some of the new ones that over the last 10 years, because uh, they finally addressed financial planning in their world. And now they're more comfortable because their portfolios are balanced and they've accumulated and things are growing and they can have fun along the way. You know, Linda, isn't that what we call middle class millionaires? Definitely. Yeah, they've had middle class values all through their working lives. And now they've reached the point to where they have accumulated well over a million dollars of investment assets, and yet they still cling to these middle-class values. We've got to tell, help them break those habits. Yeah, sometimes, <laughs> you know, they don't have to drive the Lexus or the BMW, They're dry, but they can afford it, They definitely. can afford you. Why not buy it? <laughs> but the thing is, the comfort is that along the way, they're having fun. And, you know, and you need to, along the way, make sure that you're taking those those vacation trips or those beach trips, because you never know what's going to happen. You never know if one of you is going to get cancer or have some terminal illness, right? So call us at Lewis Financial Management if you've got questions about your financial planning. That's what we do every day of the year. Comprehensive financial planning. We can help people like you. 919-872-7000. That's 919 919- USA 7000. Thomas, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening? Hello, Doug. Um, I've been checking on some information about complex trust. Uh-huh. This is the living trust and wills. Uh-huh. And my understanding is that the complex trust is a common law trust, which was uh, came out before the statutory law trust came out. Well, I knew I'd heard you mention about trusts. So uh-huh. I didn't know if you was familiar with the complex trust that uh, use the common law instead of its statutory law that most of the lawyers that you go to now try to write you up a trust under the statutory law. Well, I think you're probably getting yourself in a little deeper than you want to and getting over your head with a confusion of terminology. Let, let's come down to your situation, Thomas, and I'll see if I can tell you what you need to do. How old are you? I'm 58. 58 years old, and uh, are you retired or are you working? Um, I work. All right, what's your income, Thomas? Uh, I have no idea, really, Doug. I'm, you have no idea? I'm, I'm self-employed and dealing a lot of real estate. All right, well, you know you have to file income taxes every year, right? Right. Okay, so you know how much you made last year? Not really. Well, boy, that's what sort of, you, you need to be a lot more aware of your situation, Thomas. What are you trying to achieve with a trust? Um, what are you trying to what are you trying to accomplish? Just uh, information, really. I've got some, some friends that uh, has been talking about trust, and we're trying to get some more information about them. 
And, uh, well, the world of trust is very complicated. They break into testamentary trust versus inter vivos trust. And from testamentary and inter vivos trust, they then break into revocable and irrevocable trust. And the question of common law or uh, statutory law is irrelevant. That has nothing to do with the question of trust, Thomas. What you really need to do is to get a better handle on your situation and what you're trying to achieve. And then I can tell you what type of trust is best for you. One thing, there's uh, some people out of California that's trying to uh, market national trust services. Right. I think they, they, they peddle something called a living trust. Are you trying to protect yourselves from estate taxes? or I mean, do you own a lot of real estate? Is that part of yeah, the issue? Yes, millions of dollars worth of real estate. Okay, so would it be fair to say that maybe it's a, a $3 million estate? That's, that's real small, ma'am. One thing is this, uh, this trust services say that they have ways that uh, you can sell real estate by setting it up in trust and assign, assign the real estate to another trustee, swapping like that to avoid the income taxes. And well, also they set up a charitable trust where if you have any, any um, profits, say for a year or so, or Whichever year you have profits, then the profits go into the charitable trust. Charitable trust contributes, I believe, 5% of the income to a charity. The rest of it stays in a charitable trust. Yeah, you're, I, that's what I'm trying to explain to you, Thomas. You're getting yourself very confused. We do these for a living in our office. Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. We do charitable trust. We do credit shelter trust. We do revocable living trust. But my, my point is that you need to, to know what you're trying to achieve. If you're trying to sell real estate and not pay capital gains tax, then a charitable ta- trust will work for you. On the other hand, okay, just... Okay, that's, uh, that's one thing because it'd be, it'd be nice to be able to retire and right. sell, right. sell a lot of assets and not, uh, not have to pay... Right. We can do that. We can set up a charitable remainder unit trust where you go ahead and transfer your real estate or whatever it is that you're worried about has a high capital gains tax into this charitable trust. And then the charitable trust can sell it and pay no capital gains tax and turn around and start paying you and your wife a lifetime income for the rest of your lives. The risk there is that you want to make sure the trustee is someone that you trust. And the way to solve that one is make yourself your own trustee. Okay. Now, the problem with that is you have to have an administrator who will administer a self-trusteed charitable trust. And there's no company out of California that's marketing that sort of service. You have to come and actually find an administrator who will administer a self-trusteed trust, and you want to have one designed. Uh, and I would give you our office numbers if you would like, because that's exactly one of the things that we do. We, we believe in setting up a charitable trust where you are your own trustee, and then we find an administrator so that you control everything. The, the, the one thing you have to be aware of in setting up a charitable trust with yourself as the trustee okay. is if you want to pass this estate on to the children, right. you need to replace what you put in the charitable trust with insurance, because after your death, Everything in the charitable trust, even though you've controlled it during your lifetimes, it's going to then go to a charity. So you want to set up a second trust, which is called an insurance trust, 
to replace everything. So now let's say you've got $20 million of real estate. You put $20 million of real estate into this charitable trust. You can sell it inside the charitable trust and pay zero taxes on it. And now the income from that $20 million can come back to you and your wife for the rest of your lives. And that could be as much as, oh, uh, a million and a half a year income to y'all. Then at the same time, however, you want to set up a second trust that owns a $20 million life insurance policy that will go to your children after the two of y'all die. Those are usually second to die insurance policies, and they're a lot cheaper than regular insurance policies. They don't pay off until the second death. This is Deborah Lewis of Lewis Financial Management. Call us at 919-872-7000 to speak about your situation and to set up an appointment. 919-872-7000. But by the same token, where you get the, the money to pay the premium on that insurance policy is from the cash flow from the first trust that's paying you a million and a half a year. You see what I'm saying? Okay, yeah. That will solve the estate taxes. That will solve the capital gains taxes. And that may be the one you're thinking of. Now, the revocable living trust is the one that most people are seeing being, there's a company in California that's marketing those. And that saves probate expenses and confidentiality. That one has no tax benefits, has no capital gains benefits, has no benefits like that. But that one does keep the public from knowing at your death, what your spouse received. It may be to your advantage to use someone locally. I mean, you know, what happens is that people generally, they'll go to all these seminars and they come home and then their head is spinning because they just, they get so much information overload and then they wonder, well, how does this relate to my situation? Aside from that, the trust must be drafted by a North Carolina attorney, if you're in North Carolina, who is knowledgeable in these areas and and if you don't, if you, I mean, that's one of the things that all attorneys will warn you about, working with out-of-state companies that deal with your local laws in this state. Right. And so, you know, and you need to have your, your whole estate analyzed so that it's appropriate for your situation. So why don't, if you'd like, you can call us at the office, Thomas. Our number is 8727000 here in Raleigh. That's USA 7000, and we'll be happy to provide you with more information if you'd like. Okay. Okay? All right. And thanks for calling. Thanks very much. Thank you, Thomas. What else is new in investment planning? Well, you know, there are hidden dangers in index funds. You probably know that index funds are hugely popular. Investors have been pouring money into low-cost, passively managed mutual funds, as well as into exchange-traded funds, which are typically also unmanaged for the past decade. Yeah, but this headlong rush into index funds may mean that some investors are overlooking some of the risks that come with a strategy of merely seeking to match some sort of market barometer, market index. So I guess it would be good to consider what hidden dangers are lurking inside of your index fund. Well, first, they aren't as static as you think, and that can lead to higher transaction costs. Indexes are constructed and then left alone for the most part, right? No. Okay. Even the S&P 500, which is weighted by market value and is not rebalanced, undergoes 20 to 25 changes in an average year as companies are added to and removed from the index. So the problem 
with turnover, of course, is going to be higher transaction costs. So, Doug, they buy high. That's the second risk. They buy high. That's exactly right. This applies more to funds that track the traditional indexes like the S&P 500, which is oriented toward large companies, or maybe the Russell 2000 index, which tracks small company stocks. When an announcement is made that a new company is going to be added to the index, then its stock price typically jumps about 10%, which means that demand is driving the prices higher, and so... You're buying higher. You're being forced to buy high. That's the second risk. Another risk is they can hold different stocks than their names suggest. For example, a fund might sound as if it holds only home building stocks, but actually less than one third of its assets could be in real builders. It might also hold stocks in appliance makers such as a whirlpool and furnishing retailers and personal product makers. So this fund that you might think, just because of its name, it could hold a lot of other stocks. Now, another risk is that they can switch indexes when they want to. Yeah, that's true, Linda. A fund won't change its index without informing the shareholders, but switching benchmarks does happen. Why is this important to know, Doug? Well, an index change is going to result in different holdings. By dropping an MCSI benchmark in favor of the Emerging Market Stock Index, which is what happened with Vanguard, South Korean stocks were dropped from the portfolio because they considered South Korea to be a developing country, a developed country, rather than an emerging markets country. And so right away, we've got a whole different risk profile. Right. So this illusion that, oh... I'm in an index fund. I can just sit back and know that everything is going to be very easy, low transactions. Everything is going to sound as exactly as it is. It's being exposed. That's right. And this, there's an even bigger risk we haven't touched yet. I guess that's the risk of the diversification. They may not shelter us from a bu- bubble because of the way traditional indexes are structured. If you need help, call me, Deborah Lewis, 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. The bigger the company, the bigger its weight in the benchmark relative to other stocks. They can leave you more vulnerable to bubbles, which inevitably burst. But, you know, I, I want to end our little discussion on index funds by saying, if at all costs, avoid them. Don't go there. There's another way to do so. Consider active management instead of passive management. Passive management is just buying an index and riding on the the wave of the of the market. But you're just waiting for that bubble. You're waiting for that thing to happen whereas active management is where you're looking for managers who who are attempting to beat the index, and then you can test these managers and see, how did you do? Did you beat the index last year? Did you beat the index the year before? Did you beat the index year after year? How did you do in 2008? So look for those active managers that can consistently beat the index, and you have a much more uh, logical way to structure your investment portfolio. So just like we said earlier in the show, we don't like target date funds. We don't like index funds at Lewis Financial Management. We can show you a much better way to do it, much safer, 
and usually cheaper to you in the long run. That's right. I mean, the overall goal here is to customize everything to your investment needs, your retirement needs. And much of that in the world of retirement planning is not letting the market volatility wreck your investment portfolio. How much risk are you willing to take? A close look at your investments could reveal you're risking a lot more than you think. Yeah, we're always amazed at the number of new clients who come in not knowing how much of their portfolio is at risk. Time and again, we'll find that people never made the switch from the accumulation phase of their investment cycle to the preservation phase that is so important when you're in retirement. And they're taking a lot more risk than they realize and much more than they actually want or never made in any of the investment choices themselves or with understanding what they got into. So one of the first things that we'll do is perform a risk assessment on your current holdings. That is so important, isn't it? Once they get over the shock, they're ready to learn about volatility and what it can do to their portfolios, specifically in retirement. When they're depending on those investments for income, that's why it is, Linda, it's so important. That's when market risk represent the potential loss of funds, which can have an impact on the retirement lifestyle that dreamed that they dreamed of for years. This is Deborah Lewis. Our number at the office is 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. Let's take James's call. Hi, James. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Hey, Doug. Enjoy yeah. the show. And, and Linda, excuse oh, me. Oh, thanks. I've got four different mutual funds that I've had uh, over, I guess, the last 12 years that I have uh, started at $100 a month, and now I'm up to $250 a month. Uh, they're starting to earn quite a bit of interest now yearly, uh-huh. and I'm thinking now to start rolling that in, some of that over into IRAs. Uh, good move or not? Well, when you say you've been putting $100 a month in, are they IRA monies? No. Well, no, you can't. Strict mutual funds. No, yeah. I was going to actually cash out maybe a couple of the uh, mutual funds. You can't do that. Okay. No. You can only put money into an IRA if you've earned money. But this is money that I earned that I saved. Yeah, well, you can't. I mean, maybe I'm not clear, but you can't. A couple of things you can't do. Uh, you can't move mutual funds into an IRA from non-mutual funds. You can't, in other words, you can't make a contribution. So you would have to liquidate those and then pay tax on the gain. Well, I pay tax on the gain every year anyway. Well, only on the on the realized gain, but you haven't paid tax on the unrealized gain. Hello? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm yeah. sort of kind of lost, but I'm with you. Well, you only pay tax on the profits that the mutual fund managers have made in buying and selling stocks through the years. Right. Awesome. That's called realized gain. Okay. But you haven't paid a penny on any of the gain of the stocks that are in those funds that have just grown in value. But if you liquidate your fund, then you're going to pay tax on that gain. See, because I've got this, I got uh, where I can, I can redeem them at any time. So what you're telling me that if I redeem $2,000 this year and roll it into a mutual fund IRA. Well, you well, you don't you don't roll it. Okay, it, I would okay, I, I understand what you're open. saying. Yeah, let me ask you let me ask you this question. Okay. Do you have a job? Do are I you, have, are you working? Yes. You've got earned income. How much is your earned income? About $52,000 a year. And is there a retirement plan where you work now? Yes. Uh, it may be that you can't 
put money into an IRA then and get a deduction on it. Okay. Because you're eligible for another retirement plan. Right. So the first thing is, and I have to go back and look at the table. There's some break points there. Uh, we'd have to look at that. But the second thing is, do you have cash on your own? Yes. If you did, it would make much sense if you could contribute to an IRA to do it with cash. Because for you to go ahead and liquidate and deliberately cause more taxation. That's, yeah. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Oh, I'm, I'm totally with you. I didn't realize that. I figured I would just be taxed on whatever it made again. So no, I no, no. You're going to be taxed on the realized gain, whether you liquidate or don't liquidate. Yeah, what happens in that case, of course, as you know, they tell you how much your capital gain was, and you say either keep it, you'll take it, or you'll reinvest it, and usually you say reinvest it. Reinvest it, right. But the fact that you got it, even though you didn't get it, you pay tax on it. If you hear something tonight that sounds like your situation... Call us. Set up an appointment. We can help you. 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. That's called realized gain. That is the share of the profits that the, that the manager has made as he has sold stocks through the year in your fund. But there are other stocks in your fund, probably, that have grown that have not been sold yet. Oh, yeah, I've got, yeah, it's grown quite well this year, even with the stock market. Well, well how much is in no, those but, but, four funds? No, but, but, no, but, but, well, there's actually four funds. Yeah, you don't it. understand what I'm saying. Okay, you, no, I don't. You wouldn't know of that growth. You don't know just by looking at how much the value of the fund is, which one of the stocks in the fund today right. are this, were there January 1. Yeah, you're right. And well, that, I, I took a perspective and broke it down. And actually, it wouldn't either it'd be the annual report. So you really won't know that until the day you cash it in. But, of course, my guess is there's a lot of that that's in there that's just grown through the year, not because he sold stocks for a profit. And that that gain you do not pay tax on this year unless you liquidate your fund. Okay. So how much? How much is it all total altogether? Right now in the mutual fund? All four of them. Uh, it's around $73,000. You may want to call my office and see about scheduling a meeting, and I can take a look at what's in each of the funds and give you some overall advice from the investment side. But the tax side that you're asking, that's a no-no. Okay. Okay. Well, I set them up for uh, actually two things, for college education and uh, retirement, and, and they're just it's starting to earn quite a bit of interest. So I was. Uh, yeah, you don't mean earn interest. You mean yeah, it's starting to grow. It's, yeah, it's starting to grow right. rapidly because the money is, is there for it to grow. Right, so. right. Well, I just want to say I'm real proud of you, James. I'm glad that you've been doing this pay yourself first thing and accumulating. Oh, yeah, and, and I try every year to put 25 more dollars to it. It's Great. amazing what it does. Okay. Well, call the office if you have any more questions about this. Yeah, it looks like I do. <laughs> okay, very good. And that number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. All right. Thanks for calling, James. Right. Thanks, guys. Take care now. You know, Debs, volatility isn't as much a concern during those accumulation years. So if you're listening and you're 35 and the market takes a tumble, you've got plenty of time, decades in fact, to recover before you get ready to retire. But when you're actually in retirement, volatility definitely becomes a significant concern. A major reason for that concern, of course, is you no longer have all those years of potential recovery time ahead of you to counteract anything that goes amiss. If the market takes a deep dip, you have less chance of recovering, and that may mean you'll need to change your spending habits and how much you're withdrawing from your accounts to live on. 
Well, some people might argue that volatility also involves some big gains in the market to counter those big losses. Won't it all even out in the end? Not necessarily. If you have 100000 invested and take a 30% loss one year, a 30% gain the next year won't even get you back to square one. The 30% loss dropped you to 70000 so you went from 100000 to 70000 that 30% gain brought you to 91,000. You're still 9,000 below where you started. And this is what we talk about when we talk about if you lose money the first year in retirement, this could be a devastating uh, event. So another factor comes into play when you're already retired. At that point, you also may be withdrawing money from some of your accounts to handle your daily living expenses and to enjoy your retirement. So a big drop in a volatile market combined with your withdrawals makes it even more difficult to keep things steady on the financial side. And it can be devastating. It may be time to take a real hard look at the amount of risk you have in your portfolio by having Lewis Financial Management do a risk analysis for you and determine whether you're taking too much risk or are you being too conservative Or are you playing it just about right? The result could be eye-opening, and it also could provide much-needed information that will help you make better investment choices going forward. So this is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner of Lewis Financial Management. Call me this week. Let's sit down and discuss your situation. I'd love to hear from you. It's 919-872-7000. You can set up a face-to-face appointment. Our number is 919-872-7000. And, of course, don't forget our website, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Visit our website. And those new clients that come to us this next week, we will still be giving one of three books, either a copy of The Wealthy Barber, a copy of Middle Class Millionaire, or a copy of Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth. Well, this has been a wonderful show, and I hope everyone has a wonderful week. Remember that you can also go online and get our show. You can listen to our podcast at WPTF.com. Always remember, your money matters because your financial future is at stake. You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. Listen again next Saturday and Sunday at 5 p.m. for Money Matters with the Lewises on 680 WPTF.